I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, welcome to Jewel Says. I'm Julie. You are in for a treat today. This week, I had a lovely little chat with Natasha Silverman, the love therapist, about arguing. Welcome, Natasha. I'm so happy to have you back. Thank you for doing this. I think people are very interested in this subject. And of course, as you said, everyone argues. It's unavoidable. If you're not arguing, then you're punching down what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You had some questions for your Instagram followers. And the first one was, what are some of the most common subjects you argue about? Which ones Mm. would you like to tackle first? Well, which ones should we tackle? I think it's not surprising. I think you and I probably could have guessed the number one, the most common topic of arguments. We were talking about that a little bit yesterday, weren't we? Yes. Um, And that was, unsurprisingly, money. Yep. Is that, would that be a shock to you? you No, not at all. I think a lot of people argue about money. And I don't think it's always necessarily about how much money you have. I think spending styles and comfort with debt levels are probably Mm. an issue for people. Do you find that? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we come to relationships with a whole history and a lot of meaning and kind of family scripts around what money means and what it's for and how you use it and when you have two people who come together with with completely different ideas about that obviously it's going to lead to some some conflict or at least navigation of difference. I think sometimes we're not even aware of what some of our expectations are until we're confronted with someone who thinks about these things differently. Mm, Absolutely. And what's really interesting is that we often choose a partner who is kind of loaded with the beliefs that are kind of opposite to ours. So we often choose somebody 
who is uniquely um, positioned to irritate us or could drive us crazy in certain ways. Um, I see that all the time and it's, it's really fascinating. So what do you recommend to try to meet in the middle or maybe it isn't meeting in the middle, maybe one person is way off base, I don't know. What do you find is helpful when it comes to reconciling some of those differences? Mm, That's a really good question. I think above all, it's really important to kind of step back from the this is right, this is wrong perspective. This is how we should, this is how we shouldn't perspective and actually spend time understanding your partner's views on money how where they came from maybe how they how they saw their parents um relate to money the beliefs that they have around that but ultimately it's how you argue about it that I think is so important it's how you talk about it it's not necessarily you know to a to a lot of the topics on this list there actually isn't a single solution there aren't any hard and fast rules about what to do um, when it comes to these subjects it's more about how you talk about it and kind of really fostering an environment where you both feel heard and respected and um, you know listened to because that is what will build trust in the in the long term Do you find that you get people or couples coming into you who want you to validate that they're right and the other person is wrong? (laughs) Yes, all the time. Um, And it's really interesting because I get this. I get this. You know, I, I met my husband at law school. So if there's one thing that we both know how to do, it's argue a point until we feel that we've got it right you know it's about you know it was really for a long time about trying to be right if we have the best case oh well you know here in this whatsapp message you said at 10 past two the opposite of what you're saying now you know and I see couples falling into that pattern and um, constantly and it's it makes sense because I think we do tend to think you know there's a right and a wrong if we just if we're, if we're just really logical and if we just prove ourselves then the argument will uh it will be over and, and often so is your relationship yeah yeah well I know my children used to watch Dr. Phil and he would always say do you want to be right or do you want to get along and it's it's so true and and lawyers are trained to defend their client regardless of whether their client is right or wrong. Mm, So I think that must have really added an extra layer of challenges for you two, which I'm sure you've obviously worked through since you're still together. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing, to be honest. That that was revolutionary. The realisation that actually it's not about who's right, it's about the feeling. It's kind of a bit woo-woo, I think, when you're very much trained to believe the opposite of that but but yeah I think you know actually being able to just accept that somebody feels differently to you to hear that and validate the emotion um even if you don't get it you know I might not understand where you're coming from but I really you know I'm sorry you feel that way that must be really hard you know that's so different to well here's the reason all your feelings are wrong let me tell you why it's interesting the the focus on how it feels versus the logic applies to so many areas of life. I mean, it applies to politics. It applies to like people will vote for someone they like 
And then you'll have someone who's running for office, who's trying to use logic to win their point. But I don't want to digress into politics here. <laughs> you're right. You know, that really does. We see that everywhere, don't we? You know, yeah. Kind of naturally, anything emotive yeah. gets our attention. And that's why branding in advertising works, because a good advertising brand really does connect with your emotions. So mm. I think it's... And sometimes when you're angry, I think it's hard to pay attention to someone else's emotions because you're so focused on your own. Let's mention the next top common subject, because I think all of these probably have a very common thread when it comes to argument style, how to argue effectively versus disrespectfully or escalating it and making it worse. This one surprised me. Helping out at home and child care and how to parent the children, because I always thought that the young people were getting it. (laughs) I thought that was kind of a problem historically because we were raised, my generation were raised in a very gender role-based way. So I grew up assuming that the children and everything in the home were 100% my responsibility, and I was okay with that. And of course, My partner grew up assuming that everything was my responsibility. So there actually wasn't much argument about that. But I I know that nowadays, the moms are not necessarily at home. I wasn't either, but it's certainly more common now that they're not. They have careers. And the dads are more engaged. And you even have some dads who are the house spouse. Mm. And so that one kind of surprised me. Do you find this Mm. is still happening with younger people? families and parents yeah definitely less so but it's still you know I think if you kind of asked the majority of young couples in the UK you know do you believe that the majority of the housework and childcare should you know fall at the feet of of a woman in the relationship you know in heterosexual um, relationships I think the majority of men would say no of course not that's that would be outrageous you know that why why just because of uh, gender but I think when it comes down to it what we want to feel is often it's clouded by what we've grown up with and what we've seen Mm -hmm. and some things are just automatic and if you think that you know I think a lot of women probably grew up seeing a a female um, primary caregiver doing the majority of the work and I, I still think it's kind of it's rooted in there for a lot of people and there can be guilt around letting that go so you've you've maybe got more women young women who are a little bit more primed to do that bit more and young men who've maybe been modeled something um that they don't necessarily believe but that just feels very natural and and I I see that a lot because couples want to be something different but often it's just it's getting there but I think at least with the guys acknowledging that it isn't the woman's job Mm. as a huge step forward. So yeah, yes, definitely. Huge amount of progress. Because I know back in the day, I had, it was very different. A lot of men, not all, hashtag not all men, a lot of Mm. men of my generation would have just said, well, that's your job. You're the mother. I remember one of my brothers saying to my mom, well, you're the mother. It's your job to clean up after us. I yeah. I had a good friend in the 80s who multiple times was ready to pack her bags and leave 
because she had to direct the house cleaning for her husband. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I shouldn't have to tell him what to do. And at the time, I couldn't understand it because I said to her, well, at least he does it. But I didn't really even acknowledge the amount of effort it took just to mentally these are all the things that need to be done. Now, I, it's my job to delegate this and make sure that it happens. And I certainly don't want to tell a guy what to do or ask him to do anything. So, yeah, I can see yeah. how that would be a bit of a challenge. And then not feeling prioritized, differing emotional needs between partners, in-law issues. I think so many of us can relate to these things. And then sex. At the end of the day, Isn't sex very often a symptom of all these other things that are going on in the relationship? Yes, absolutely. There's math. That's one simple answer to that question. Yeah, sex is often, you know, it often takes the hit. You know, they say if there's a problem in the living room, you've got a problem in the bedroom. And I I think that is, is very, very true. You know, we all have brakes and accelerators when it comes to sexual desire. We talked about this last time, didn't we? Mm -hmm. And relationship problems feeling taken for granted feeling unsupported all of those things you know emotional distance that's gonna hit the brakes and you're not abnormal if that slows down you know interest in sex you know not feeling respected not feeling liked you know these are all very good reasons that your interest in sex would um, drop off but I think for those who have more spontaneous sexual desire or more sensitive accelerators it won't feel that way. It will be something different. So interest in sex is often maintained despite those pressures. So again, it, it plays out differently between each partner quite often. Yeah. If someone's calling you a stupid bitch during an argument, you're not as likely to feel physically attracted no. to them later on. No, no, absolutely not. And if someone's calling you a stupid bitch during an argument, then, you know, it's time to get some intervention. Because that is absolutely not okay. (laughs) Yeah, because I think some people think that that's just a normal way of arguing. So Mm. I think that's a really good point because that kind of brings us to how do you know where an argument stops and we're entering into kind of toxic, abusive strategies. And that's something that we're generally not very clear on because no one's really told us what an argument should look like in a healthy way anyway. Well, I think you just grow up assuming however the arguments happened in your home is normal. You, whatever you grow mm. up with feels normal. And then it's up to you as an adult to try to change things that you don't think are necessarily the best way of doing things. Which brings me, regardless of the reason people argue, and there are so many, and I think all of us can relate to the ones we've mentioned, Things my partner does during arguments that drive me crazy. You've got some responses on that question too. Yeah, I did. Uh, And these aren't that surprising to me because they do fit with what we already know about arguments. Um, And we know that there are certain behaviors during arguments that drastically dramatically increases the chance of relationship distress and ultimately relationship breakdown you know separation divorce and I think the majority of these responses kind of tap into one of those you know one of the the big four which one leaps out to you well they all well the first one kind of leapt out to me because it was 
about never helping out at home or with the children. Mm. And then the next part was I've told him he's lazy. And to me, that immediately went off as a red flag because name calling is probably not the path to change. So what do you have to say about that style of arguing? Well, I think, you know, we know that criticism is and can be highly, highly damaging when it becomes chronic. And it often has the opposite effect, you know, to, to what we want. It's it's kind of criticizing your partner and saying, you know, you lazy asshole, get over here and help me. It's it's probably not going to get you the, you know, come over here and love me and support me. Uh, why are you so lazy? It's possibly not going to get you to where you want to go. And I get it because it's so frustrating to feel chronically let down, to feel unsupported. These are big feelings. But what we tend to do is share again, going back to those sharing of facts and information rather than the feelings. So often, you know, imagine that this was framed as when you don't help out at home, I feel really overwhelmed. I feel unsupported and like I can't cope. It also makes me feel really disconnected from you. And I want something different and better. You know, that would probably be received far better. And it also makes it about you and a need rather than their failing. But we're not taught that. We're taught, you know, tell them off and then eventually maybe they'll pack it in, falling into that parent-child dynamic that I think a lot of couples have, you know, I often hear one partner saying, it's like they're another child. It's like I've got another kid in the house. Um, so that I think this is a really, really common um, scenario to find yourself in. But it's not one that has to be permanent. I think it feels foreign to people to phrase it that way. How do you get beyond that? I think some people would hear you say, when you don't help, I feel really let down. And they would roll their eyes Mm -hmm. and think, oh, well, that, (laughs) how do you get couples past that? Do you have them practice it? What what tactics do you have to help them change? I think um, we Brits tend to be quite cynical as well. And um, I do get a lot of eye rolling at that point, you know, eh, gross, you know, this is a bit cringe. But, you know, are you happy as you are? Or do you want to try something different? Because if what you're doing isn't working, what have you got to lose? It might be uncomfortable, but new things are. So if what you're doing isn't cutting it for you, it's try to, it's time to try something else. But I do have couples practice that, often in front of me, where they um, feel a little bit more comfortable. I might model it. Um, and then at home, they find their own language for this. It doesn't have to be so formulaic, but it, it is something that becomes more natural. I mean, I think a lot of my clients would probably say they could not imagine ever speaking to their partner in that way. But taking a deep breath, leaving the room and coming back with something like that is going to get you so much further. And it's really about just staying connected when you argue. For a lot of people, when things are going wrong, it's like this real cutoff, this real termination of connection and attachment to your partner it's I'm unhappy so that that the sky has fallen in I can't cope with that and now there's all this space between us but actually just trying to give your partner information that helps him understand you and stay close while you're unhappy 
is often the uh, the winning recipe. So people can change. Oh, yeah. Do you get people Absolutely. laughing? And of course, when you're doing this practicing in the office, they're probably possibly not as angry in the moment. They might maybe mm-hmm. recounting how they feel. Maybe they get heated in the office. Do they ever laugh when they try to talk like this? Yeah, yeah, of course. But I think there's a lot of laughing generally um, in relationship counselling. There's Coming to this with a sense of humour is often very productive. People often associate relationship counselling with, you know, the total devastation of needing to be there or failure in some way. And it all feels very heavy and complicated. Um, But actually, um, the lighter it is and the more flexibility there is, the more effective it tends to be. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But people do get heated. People do get very heated, and it's really helpful because therapists want to see enactments. They want to see how couples do this. Is this how it looks at home? You know, that's really helpful to know. Because then you know what you're working with. And it's, you know, it's not so much, again, it's not so much what we're talking about as much as how we're talking about it and why. So it is really useful to see how a couple hit each other's triggers, you know, and really get get each other to a, a place that no one really wants to be in. Yeah, that would be helpful. That would be better because, you know, sometimes people come in and they'll say, well, I do this and I say this, but they're really just trying to paint themselves as being better than they really are. So I would Mm. think, yeah, if they can get heated in the office, then you see what really is going on. Yeah. The other Sorry, I was just going to say we're we're all acting this way for a reason. You know, we don't tend to do things out of nowhere. There's often a reason that we have a negative style of interacting under pressure um, and so you can have empathy for that you know it's not like the first time somebody loses it in a counseling room they're going to be berated for it that's not what it's about it's really about having empathy for why we do what we do and using that to find something something do sp- different do you spend much time going through the whys and digging into the history of that or is that something that's just best touched on and put in the past I think it depends I mean in systemic therapy we are very very conscious of the fact that it's not just where we are now it's where we've been and um, that we come from an entirely different family quite often to a new relationship and it's very hard to leave that at the door and um, we're all part of a system and 
there are often so many more people than just the couple in the counselling room. They might not be there, but they're bringing them in. And so it, often it is helpful to have a, an idea of the family tree. We often make genograms and we look at who's around and we look for different patterns. But some people, understandably, are more hesitant about that. They don't want to dig into the past. You know, they don't want to, you know, it takes time for them to feel ready. Um, but even in those cases, the couple will give you a lot to work with on their own. Mm-hmm. Most, you know, most, most circumstances. Yes. And sometimes in-laws do get involved in some of these things, especially if, let's say, it gets so heated that you pack up and go home to your mom or something like that. Mm. Now she knows about it. And sometimes after an event like that, it's hard for the family to forgive the partner when you go back. Yeah. And this is, I think, one of the reasons that some people prefer not to let the family know anything is wrong. And then when everything mm. goes completely south, the family's like, what? I thought everything was fine. It's yeah. it's tricky. Those things are tricky. Mm, and that's so important, I think, because I think we often do have this belief that if you are in a good relationship and big arguments, big fallout, difficult stuff doesn't happen. If you just pick the right person and often that's very, very misleading. You know, we've got a lot of romantic notions about relationships, quite rightly, but sometimes they are unhelpful. And actually, you know, having family around that are going to say, yeah, it does get tough sometimes. You can tell me about it. I'm not going to hold it against them is is really important because that's how couples can come unstuck by really, by keeping those problems really, really tightly protected within their relationship. There aren't enough voices to challenge difficult things. There aren't more ideas flowing around. Um, and often people who are in more difficult situations, so let's say abusive relationships or very, very toxic dynamics, um, aren't getting the support they need either. So it is quite helpful for other family members to try and create a kind of an understanding that relationships get hard and I'm here to listen without judgment. We don't tend to have that. Well, that's a very important point because I was going to ask you if you recommended that couples just do keep everything to themselves. But I guess what you're saying is it depends on what you, how your support people or your loved ones will deal with it. Because yeah. maybe the rest of us aren't so good at withholding judgment and, and not holding it against your partner. One of the first questions I ask my couples and individually or otherwise is, who have you told? Who are you talking to? And quite often the answer is nobody. And that might be because parents, you know, family members, friends aren't able to listen without giving advice. They're not able to resist the temptation to share their opinions. It's hard. You know, it's really difficult, particularly if someone you love is struggling. But I think couples need to have their own rules around this, too, to some extent. It's healthy to talk to other people within reason when things get tough. You know, we don't want people to feel isolated and alone. But what's the rule within, you know, your your relationship? Is it that I don't mind you talking to people, you know, when we've had a a couple of couple of people or a specific family member or a specific friend? But that doesn't mean we're going to air our dirty laundry and I'm going to complain about you every two seconds. But if you really need to talk, it's important to me that I know you've got someone to talk to. So it's it's uh, it's a balance. It depends on the partner. 
uh, and it depends on who who you're talking to and how they're going to respond. Well, I guess that's true because but there's no hard fast rule. Some sometimes you want to talk to someone who's just going to validate that you're right, and I think that's mm. where you fall into a trap. It is hard for people to accept that you know maybe I don't have to be right. And maybe I'm actually not right in this situation. Or maybe you're both right and you just have to compromise. I don't know. But I think it's hard for a lot of people to do that. The other thing that jumped out at me was leaving the room when I'm trying to bring something up and refusing to listen. Mm, Stonewalling. Yeah. And to me, that ties in with invalidating your feelings. Yeah, I guess it can. That's a really good point. But yes leaving the room, shutting the conversation down. I don't want to talk about this. It can be an incredibly frustrating position to be in when you're the partner that wants to talk about things uh, more openly. But it's often a strategy that has been learned to keep the person safe. You know, we often do things because it worked for us earlier on in our lives. And when those strategies stop working for us, often that's in our romantic relationships later down the line. And um, it's often our partner that points it out. So having a safer discussion, sometimes with a softer startup, you know, look, I've got something to talk to you about. Is now a good time? Is possibly going to pave the way a little bit better than it's been really annoying me or, you know, launching straight in. But if your partner keeps leaving, then I think it's really important that somehow you find the way to reach out for support or Either you write them a letter, you, and again, this isn't direct advice, this is me talking more generally, you get the message across that this is hurting you. If you find this is a harmful behaviour, because we know that some of these behaviours, when they become very frequent, it can feel abusive, it can become abusive. It's important that you're able to reach and connect to your partner and not just feel shut down um, constantly. It might be that your partner just doesn't know what else to do. They don't necessarily have the skills to have the kind of conversation that you want to have, which is uh, completely understandable. But do they want to learn them or do they want to avoid that? Because that will give you more valuable information to think about how to proceed. I've seen situations where people have done that, certainly to me. My current partner isn't the only person I've been with. But um, in my case, it was a matter of I don't want to be yelled at. And even though I wasn't yelling, I'm actually generally not a yeller. I have to be absolutely livid, which rarely Mm. happens before I will get to that point. That's just my style. And I do try to think very carefully about how I'm going to broach a difficult subject. But because this person had been with other women who screamed and yelled and, you know, even threw things his reaction was to just walk away. Mm. And we ended up talking about that, the reason for his reaction. And then it became, well, I'm not going to yell and scream and throw things. But I can tell you, if you keep walking away from me, I don't Mm -hmm. feel heard. We need to talk about these things or it's never going to be resolved. And I found that helped in that situation. The other thing is, and, and I suggested this to a friend whose partner was a walk awayer. <laughs> I said, maybe if you just suggest to him, next time you feel the need to walk away, 
would you just please say, I can't talk about this now. We'll talk about it later when mm-hmm. I've cooled off or something. At least then you're getting something. But then you yeah. do have to actually talk about it later. Exactly. And that's the thing, isn't it? I think um, quite often the partner that wants the conversation can't guarantee that the other partner is ever going to come back to it. And that quite often leads to this cycle where one person really pursues they're really trying to have this discussion. They're trying to talk openly. They're shut down repeatedly. And then the pursuer flips and they lose it. And it becomes this very dramatic outburst because they felt shut down for so long. And obviously that's not a healthy response either. But they're left feeling, you know, if I don't talk about, if we don't talk about this right now, then forget it. It's obvious you're never coming back to it. Um, and that can often lead to quite a toxic kind of, cycle of breakups getting back together breakup getting back together and I see that in a lot of young people but I think think a lot of couples deal with difficult things differently and the majority of couples are made up quite often of one person who is able to rely on other people for support they're used to going to other people talking it out having safe discussions you know they are it's natural for them to lean into those around them and then another partner who actually goes inside themselves who pulls away you know who when they're anxious or they're struggling they'll do solitary pursuits you know so it's a common makeup really of couples where one person needs connection and the other goes inside they're a bit more of an island and I think that again is where you see this playing out with one person that pulls away so in general what strategies do you recommend to help people with that pattern it depends on what's happening around the couple so it's hard to you know give any specific advice but I always suggest that everybody needs to feel safe quite often the person pulling away feels overwhelmed they feel pressure they do not know how to have this conversation and the person who needs to have the conversation is feeling shut down they're feeling unheard um, they're feeling disconnected so everybody needs to get what they everybody needs to get what they need essentially and that looks like the suggestion of a difficult conversation is now a good time and um, the partner who finds it more difficult might need half an hour to get themselves in a good place they might need to come back and say okay right half past two let's meet in the kitchen with a cup of tea and talk about this and um, it might need to be more boundaried it might need to start off with a 5 minute conversation you know often people pull away because they can't guarantee how big this conversation is going to get. Is this going to go on forever? Is this going to, you know, once I start talking about this, is it going to get out of control? And so keeping those boundaries around it initially are really useful and gradually exposing the, the person struggling with that more and more to the uncomfortable situation. And how about the talking over each other situation? That's one of the ones that your followers Mm. brought up. Yeah, this is a this is a big one. And that essentially happens when two people are offline. So when we're under pressure, and this happens the most in arguments between romantic partners or uh, siblings, you know, pe- with parents, it's something that happens when we are under too much pressure than we can cope with. So we tend to operate within this narrow window. Well, some people it's narrow, some people it's bigger. And this this is the amount of pressure that we can handle. When it gets too much, 
we tend to go offline in one way or another. So we either shut down or we become hyper aroused and we think really quickly and we need to get everything out and we need to share things as fast as we can. And we're thinking, thinking, thinking. We think we're still present because we're thinking a lot, but we're still offline. Um, it's become, you know, really almost an automatic kind of response. And so I think this these conversations need to happen when you are within that window of tolerance, when you're back online. So each partner can notice when their partner's going, you know, are you still with me? Because I feel like something switched somehow. You know, this can often move really, really quickly in relationships. Do you, do you watch the Kardashians, Julie? No, I've never <laughs> seen it. No, I shouldn't say I've never seen it. I have seen a rare episode when I was at my daughter Catherine's because she okay. watches it. She's a big fan, but it's okay. not something I watch. There was a brilliant display of this um, in the first season of the new new version of it between uh, Kendall and her ex-brother-in-law, I think, um, Scott. And they were you couldn't even see where the trigger was. I love this. And I think they should play this scene on training programs for counsellors because it was just fantastic. They escalated each other so fast. And you, at one point it was a normal conversation and then it wasn't. And it was just so interesting to, if you could, if you rewind it and look for the point at which something is said that sets the other off, they're gone. And then they were both completely unavailable to each other. And it ended in, one of them walking away. Uh, but I think that happens in couples so often and in families. And it's recognizing when you're leaving. You're, you might be in the room, but you're not really there. And that's quite a skill in itself. Well, you're certainly not listening when you're to that point. Exactly. But from what I've heard about this Scott character, whatever Kendall <laughs> dished out to him, he most definitely deserved. If I don't yeah. even know what he looks like. But again, Catherine's <laughs> a big fan. So I know a little bit about it just from what she has to say. So, yeah, Scott, he's definitely in the wrong. <laughs> yeah. I'm, now I'm here I've so fallen great. into the right and wrong trap again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I think sometimes there may be moments when any of us can get so angry that we just stop listening. Mm. And yeah. I don't know how you come back from that. Well, you do, you stop ultimately. And I think if you're quite often, we're listening to our partner for the reasons that they're wrong. So when our partner is talking to us about something difficult, something we don't want to hear, we're thinking, well, that's not right. Here's the reason. We're listening to defend, to deny, to dismiss our partner rather than listening to understand and actually staying in that place where we're curious where we're actually curious about why is my partner this? I don't get this reaction. This is weird. This doesn't make sense to me. But let me listen and find out because something's happening for them. Because we lose that sense of the relationship, we lose that kind of perspective of the we and we focus on me. It's very easy to just start shutting our partner down rather than hearing really important information that would shape our relationship for the better. What about, do you run into people who... Just don't argue because for years they just go along with the other person to try to make them happy. And then at some point along the way, they go, you know what? It never even occurred to me to ask for my needs to be met. Mm. I mean, this isn't an arguing thing. It's maybe 
one of the pitfalls of not arguing. Yes. And I think lots of people think that if they're not talking about it, then they're not in conflict, but you are still in conflict. If there's a problem and you're not talking about it, it's avoidance, but it's there. And I think that's what's so hard for us to get our heads around a lot of the time. It's the fact, well, if I don't talk about it, then there's not a problem. Well, there is. And what happens when you, you know, you just, you comply, you dismiss your own needs. What is that going to do to the relationship long term? And ultimately, it's up to the per- the people in the relationship to decide what they want from it and whether or not it's worth risking the fallout of a difficult conversation to have your needs met. But I think in those cases, it's often down to a belief that it's not deserved in some way, that actually I'm not really entitled to have my needs met. Articulating that isn't something that's ever been modelled. I don't know how. You know, there are so many reasons that that could happen. And a quiet life is definitely one of them. I think... That is challenging for someone who might think if if you're thinking, I don't deserve to have my needs met, or you're thinking, I don't have any needs, mm-hmm. and maybe you've got a deeper self-esteem issue, and it really isn't about the relationship at all. And yeah. with that, I've again segued out of the arguing conversation. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Because, you know, it, without having any, if you don't have any needs, then there's no problem. And it, it kind of links to the what we were talking about earlier with the invalidating our partner's needs. You know, that came up on the on the question box, didn't it? And if you if I can invalidate how you feel, if I can tell you that you're wrong, then I don't have to deal with it. Life's a lot easier. And I think that's part of the invalidation sometimes. Um, yes, it can be a little bit of gaslighting and it can also be. I don't know how to do this thing you want. So I'm just going to tell you that you're crazy for wanting it, or I'm just going to tell you that it's not a problem. And then I don't really have to to meet you where you need me to be. Do you get people who come to you often with that, where I think there are people who, if someone just keeps gaslighting them or telling them you're wrong, you're wrong, and then they shut up because they are an argument avoider, Mm -hmm. that will accumulate over time. How do you help people who are those types of people, the well, argument avoiders? <laughs> they've got to want to come to therapy. You know, if you're inherently avoidant, it's going to it's probably not going to be very natural for those people to be the one to initiate therapy. You know, um, it's more likely to be the partner that wants more or it's been articulated to the avoider that this is an issue. You know, in order for us to be happy, we need to work on this. And that it will probably be more natural for the avoider to avoid the very place that is going to be highly emotionally exposing and request things of them, demand things of them, potentially, um, that they don't feel able to give. Hmm. And so so we normally do see the person that is more is craving more intimacy, craving more connection, craving, you know, a better way of communicating. That's interesting because I would have thought that if. The person gaslighting and invalidating the other person's feelings gets a lot of compliance. They mm-hmm. might think everything's great. Well, yeah. But then after a few years, the compliant person might go, gee, I'm really unhappy and I don't know why. Do you mm-hmm. see some of that? Yes. Well, that's that's often seen 
more in um, more abusive situations, I think, you know, chronic gaslighting to the point where you can't trust your reality, where you don't even necessarily believe you feel how you feel. You're talked out of it so frequently. Mm -hmm. That's quite hard to shake. And I think quite often by that point, it's hard to get people in the door because they don't trust themselves or they need to be there anyway. Or they're not allowed to be there. Or they're not allowed to be there. And this is when we're thinking about coercive control um, and uh, controlling relationships. My takeaway is you should be arguing about something or at least having Mm. discussions and disagreements about something. If you're not, why aren't you? Who's avoiding something? Any other last things you would like to share before we wrap up? Hmm. Yes, everybody argues. Arguing can be a healthy part of any relationship. We will always have these points of difference in our relationships. We will not always agree. And even if it's just, oh, you forgot to pick up the milk, great. You know, there will be these tensions in our lives, in our relationships, and that in itself is conflict. So managing to find ways to have constructive arguments to disagree in a constructive way rather than a harmful way is so important if after an argument you actually feel really far away from your partner you feel more disconnected rather than oh that was an opportunity to actually get them to understand where I'm coming from and now we feel closer together then something isn't working as well as it could be an argument is an opportunity for you to actually enhance your relationship and not to erode well-being and goodwill within the couple. Thank you. And I think it's an opportunity to understand the other person, not just have the other person understand you. Definitely. I completely agree with that. Thank you so much. If you don't already follow Natasha Silverman, she's at Tasha the Love Therapist. You should follow her. She has beautiful posts. I always comment on the aesthetic loveliness of them and a lot of really good information for anyone because we're all human and we're all doing our best, but we could all do better. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. It's been a pleasure. Well, she was great as always. If you recognize some of these things we talked about in your own life, you're not alone. And if you're constantly frustrated with the arguments you're having, I hope you can find some help, whether it's from a book or a therapist or friends or your partner. If you have anything you'd like to share or comment on or ask, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. Have a wonderful week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.